Beautiful prayer. Thank you. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Janet B. I've recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Um, this is a talk I've done before, and I just like it. So I'm doing it again. It's on pride. Um, pride is, if I had to say, like my biggest Achilles heel, it would be pride. So I've done a lot of um, research, a lot of praying, and the results are six pages of notes. So here we go. Um, so on the big, in the big book on page 62, it says that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our troubles. I love that, like self-centeredness and selfishness is the root. And if you think of a tree, right, you don't see the roots, they're underground. You see the fruit. And what are the fruits? Our resentments, our fears, and our harms to others. But what does it mean to be like self-centered? And actually on page 116 of the big book, it talks about the defects of character that make up the self-centered person. And it says selfishness, dishonesty, self-pity, vanity, and pride, pride. Um, and in fact, in the AA 12 and 12, it tells us that the attainment of greater humility, which is the opposite of pride, is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. And like, why? Why is humility so important, right? Can't I just like get a food plan that leaves out my binge foods and move on? No. In the 12 and 12, they are really clear. Without humility, we can't stay sober or abstinent. But it goes on to say, it's not enough to just have the, you know, enough, let's say it takes two units of humility to stay abstinent. They say, uh-uh, that's not enough because, and I'm quoting from the 12 and 12, unless we develop much more of this precious quality than, it, than is required just to be sober or abstinent, we can't be happy, we can't be useful, and we can't summon the faith we need in order to be able to deal with adversity. In other words, they're telling us that pride blocks faith. And of course it does, because if I'm reliant on myself and I think I have all the answers, um, God being a perfect gentleman will step aside and let me run the show the way I think I know how. Um, and we all know the result of that disaster of titanic proportions. So let's kind of dive in. Um, the definition of pride, one I read that I really liked by Sam Shoemaker, who was a spiritual advisor to one of the founders of the program, said pride is a high esteem of oneself for some real or imaginary merit or superiority. A high esteem of oneself for some real or imaginary merit or superiority. So even if it's real, I'm not supposed to be wasting time thinking about how great I am. Um, Hello. And and so in doing like some research here, I found 10 different types of pride. So, oh, 11. So here we go. One, um, showing off, caring what other people think. So it's like, that's when we want other people to see what we have, like how nice my clothes are, how nice my car is, you know, this talent I have. We're silently bragging when we do that. And it can manifest in like the things we give our children or that we want from our children. I mean, do we really want our kids to go to Harvard because we think it'll make them happy? Or do we want them to go to Harvard so we can tell our friends 
you know, my son or my daughter got into Harvard. And here's an a interesting quote from Timothy Keller in a book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or more clever or more better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud of. So again, showing off, caring what other people think. And the second one I thought was really interesting, not caring at all what other people think. Now, if we don't care for the right reasons because we just care what God thinks of us, um, that's fine. But what they're talking about is, and this is from C.S. Lewis, the diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you don't care what they think of you. If you say, why should I care for the applause of that rabble as if their opinion were worth anything? Well, that's pretty prideful. If I think that I'm just like so great, I don't need anyone down there in the valley to approve of me up here on the mountain, I'm headed for trouble. Um, number three, pride of affiliation. That's not pride of something I do, but it's pride of what someone else does. Like, let's say someone says, well, my ancestors were on the Mayflower. Like, it's really like, who cares? Um, or for me, some that I had been guilty of, um, my son was the goalie of the varsity soccer team. I mean, now it's like, two years ago and it's like now it's like who cares but back when he was in high school and I could say to the other soccer moms my son's the goalie of the team I can't play soccer at all it has nothing to do with me pride of affiliation or I work for a company that designs websites for like big companies for like major sports companies and really like fortune 100 companies so if I say yeah my company designed the website for you know, and I name like this really prestigious company. People go, ooh, ah, let me tell you. They keep me in the back room, like doing spreadsheets. I never go near a client. I don't know how to design even the most simple website. Our Recovery Jam website was designed by someone else. Um, I have no website design talents. But if I told you who my clients were in our company, that would be pride of affiliation. Um, when we have this kind of pride of affiliation, we expect to be deferred to, not for any moral or intellectual distinction in ourselves, but because we're related to somebody notable. So it doesn't matter. So I'm not gonna tell you what companies my, um, my company does the webs for because it doesn't matter and it would just be me showing off. So number four, pride in our accomplishments. Now, there's a healthy pride, right? That, you know, okay, I feel good. I studied for a test. I got a good grade. I worked hard for a project and it came out well. But we should always remember that it's all gift. The only reason I could do well on a test be because God gave me a good brain. Everything is gift. Um, so we don't have pride in in our looks if we happen to be born good looking or our brains if we happen to be born smart it's all gift um 
And then another quote that I really liked, this one's from Tony Evans. Success isn't measured by how well I'm doing compared to another person. It's measured by how well I'm doing compared to what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just thought that was a nice quote. Number five, spiritual pride. And very interesting, Sam Shoemaker said, this is the deadliest form of pride. Um, it's thinking I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, at least I go to church, go to synagogue, believe in God, try and be a nice person, um, spiritual pride. And it doesn't matter if everyone's gossiping. And I just say, well, I'm gossiping, but not as much as everyone else. Um, in World War II, all the people in France were emaciated. It was normal, but it wasn't healthy. I'm not to compare myself to what everyone else is doing um, and how great I am. I'm supposed to just look at what does God expect of me and how am I living up to that? Number six, pride of a spiritual influencer. So if a person only hears about how much he or she helps others, he can relapse into a pride strong enough to kill everything genuinely spiritual in his life. So that is why someone once said to me, like, you're a good speaker. Like, why don't you just speak? And it's like, no, it's, um, it's important to sponsor because sponsoring helps protect against spiritual pride because inevitably, no matter how good a sponsor is, there will always be failures. There will always be people who don't recover, who don't get it, or who maybe don't get it from me, but then go on to the next sponsor and have a great recovery. And that helps keep us humble, right? And we have to be careful as sponsors, not to just write someone off if they don't recover and say, oh, she wasn't willing. We really need to do honest 10 steps and look at our part. Did we push too much? Did we not push enough? Did we give enough time? Um, often after I, you know, I have a sponsee who, isn't recovering and we part ways, I look back and think, what could I have done better? So I think um, if you're someone who's a, I guess, spiritual influencer who you, you know, speak well or something, it's always important to hands dirty working with people because that keeps you humble. Um, number seven, self-reliance. The big book says that we have fear because self-reliance has failed us. Self-reliance is thinking that I don't need God, that I can handle things myself. So here's some subtle ways self-reliance can show up. If I don't make time to pray and meditate, um, because I think I got this, I don't need to get God's opinion on it. For me, if I meditate without pen and paper, um, or occasionally having my phone open to notes, but I don't like that as much because it's too easy to get distracted. Um, if I don't have something to take notes on, it means either I think God isn't going to show up and guys, like sometimes he really does show up when we pray and meditate. He shows up in like really cool ways. Um, or sometimes am I thinking that yeah, whatever comes to me in meditation isn't important enough for me to write down to remember. Well, I'll tell you, whenever I go to talk to my boss, I have something to write with if he's got instructions for me. 
So I think God deserves at least that much attention. We should go into our prayer and meditation expecting um, God to show up. So another quote from Tim Keller that I liked, again, from his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Hmm. Number eight, jealousy. Now, someone might say, well, jealousy is different from pride, but not really, because jealousy is really me telling God that the way he's distributed gifts is unfair, that I should have what that person has, that I know better. Um, so that's, you know, with gifts, or there can be a jealousy from, if I look at someone who's doing the same job I am to want to think like, oh, are they doing a better job than I am? You know, when Melissa and I first started this after meetings, people would go and group me and say, that was a good talk. That was a good talk. So sometimes early, I would look and see, okay, eight people said that Melissa gave a good talk. Did at least eight people say that I gave a good talk? Now, this was years ago. We don't do that anymore at all. I don't even look and I don't care. And, you know, I want Melissa to, you know, thrive and, you know, it's, it's fine. Like there's no more, there's no competitiveness. Um, but that's what jealousy often is. It's looking to see, even if I'm doing a good job, is someone doing a better job? And if they are, who cares? More glory for God. Um, what's the antidote? First to expose it right? To just tell someone and then do something kind for the person that you're jealous of. Do something good for them. So um, number, oh, I guess there's 12. So my numbering's off. Um, number nine, being hypersensitive. Hypersensitivity is me telling people that the way they're talking to me is wrong and they had better talk to me in a nicer way. You know, on page 125 of the big book, it says, we alcoholics are sensitive people. It takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. So, you know, part, part of that's not liking anyone to tell us that we've done anything wrong. And what's an antidote to that? Hang out with kind people who aren't afraid to tell you the truth. You know, we want to hear the truth, but no one wants to hear the truth when it's like yelled at us. Um, but we all need people in our lives who care enough about us to tell us the truth. And, you know, if we're hypersensitive, it's really a subtle form of manipu manipulation. And so people people walk around us like on eggshells, you know, afraid to ruffle our feathers. So I've had that sometimes sponsees who get hurt easily like it's like oh if i say if i give them any feedback she's going to cry or get hurt well you know we don't want to be hypersensitive so we want to again find a good god squad who love us and who tell us the truth Eight, nine, ten, unforgiveness unforgiveness is first of all me forgetting how much god has forgiven me and thinking i'm entitled to a life where everything goes my way, or at the very least is fair. Now a quote from Melissa C. Um, 
I'm now in the world of the spirit. Fairness is not my code. Love and tolerance is my code. And I was thinking about um, resentments today. And actually that's gonna be the talk on Monday. And I was thinking that most and maybe all resentments, the root of it is pride. How dare someone talk to me that way, treat me that way, make a decision that I don't like without consulting me, even though it's not my business whatsoever. Um, a lot of it is pride. Someone hurts us. And isn't it better to just not be hurt, right? To raise our level of tolerance so we're not hurt. But more on this on Monday. Um, 11, entitlement. That's thinking I am entitled to fill in the blank. And I was thinking that pretty much anything goes in the blank. Um, as a lot of you know, my mom has Alzheimer's now. So I was thinking about it and like that just started really um, scaring me a bit. Like, I don't want, I don't want to go that way. I don't want Alzheimer's. And then thinking, okay, how do I want to die? And I want to like live to be uh, maybe about 80, enough to see my kids get married, grandchildren, and where I'm still like healthy. And then one day, one night, I go to sleep and I just wake up in heaven. I mean, that's what I want, but you know what? Like, I'm not entitled to, why would I be entitled to that? And every, you know, other people aren't. So when I realize there's very, very, very little in life I'm entitled to, it actually makes things easier. Um, you know, gosh, so it's, I'm reading this and I can like see growth because I wrote feeling entitled to an hour in the pool on a sunny day. And now it's like, yeah, I'm not entitled to it. It's nice if it happens, but I don't get to go in my pool as often as I would if I weren't like helping people. It's fine. I'm not entitled to go in my pool. Um, I had a sponsor once he was, and he was a recovered alcoholic and he'd been a skid row alcoholic. And he said he would go to meetings and they would just give him two cups of coffee half full because he was shaking so badly. And he said every morning his mother would have to change the sheets because he just, I guess from detoxing, sweat through the sheets every night. And he said, if this is as good as it's ever gonna get, it's good enough. What a good attitude to have, right? If this is as good as it's gonna get, it's still way more than I deserve. Number, I can't remember what number we are. I think it's 12, criticizing. That's along with things like correcting people's grammar, you know, stuff like that, criticizing, because that's me thinking I am better than other people. Um, in the AA 12 and 12, page 67, it says, gossiped, barbed with our anger, is a polite form of murder by character assassination. Here we're not trying to help those we criticize. We're trying to proclaim our own righteousness. So how do we get over it, right? Big question. Um, so here's something that seems like a good way to get over it and to um, an antidote for pride, but it really isn't. And that's like to tell myself and other people that I'm not really fill in the blank, not that smart, not that pretty, not that helpful. And then um, again, by C.S. Lewis, by this method, thousands of humans have been brought to think 
that humility means pretty women trying to believe that they're ugly and clever men trying to believe they are fools. And since what they're trying to believe may in some cases be nonsense, they cannot succeed in believing it and their minds are endlessly revolving on themselves. So what are the antidotes? First, think about others. Um, again, Tim Keller from the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. And remember, the big book tells us on page 70 that if sex, and remember we treat sex like any other problem, they say if sex is troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. So again, we, we work for others, we think about others. Um, again, C.S. Lewis quote, if you meet a really humble person, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. So we need to really be good listeners and then throw our minds and our attention and our time into helping others. And the second thing is to like, honestly admit that I have pride. Like to acquire humility, the first step is to realize that one is proud. Again, from C.S. Lewis, at least nothing whatever can be done before admitting you're proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. And we know, right, that once we admit we have a defect, then we got a roadmap for that, right? We do the steps on it. We admit it. I mean, I would find it helpful to look at all the manifestations of pride in my life, ask God to help me see it, um, in, and then ask God to remove it and make amends if I need to and practice the opposite. So how do we practice the opposite? Well, if I'm jealous, I might do something for the person I'm jealous of. If I find I want to be noticed for wearing the nicest clothes um, in church or something, I make a point of wearing ordinary clothes. I remember when I started graduate school, I got great advice from a fellow that, you know, if I feel like I'm showing off in class, just raise your hand once per class. Don't be the one who has all the answers. And always, always, I can practice gratitude. Sam Shoemaker said, I thought this was interesting. The antidote for pride is not humility, but gratitude. Humility is still struggling with one's own attitude. Gratitude has found something without in the presence of which to forget oneself and bow down in thankfulness. Pride may hide unseen in humility, but not in thankfulness. The thankfulness should not be what God has done through me because then I may still be marveling at myself. I should be marveling at what God has done for me. Removed my food obsession, restored family relationships. Um, a lot of us have the app, My Spiritual Toolkit. It has a section for gratitude. And I would say great to use, but there is a danger I found in using apps. It can just get mechanical, like I'm filling out a form like school. 
And what I do when I finish my gratitudes is I sit there and I actively thank God for these things. I don't stop with the list. Remember, God wants to communicate with us. He wants a relationship with us. He's not interested in us doing homework. Um, and then finally, always prayer. Um, there's a good one um, called the Litany of Humility. You can Google it if you want to find it. And there were a couple of other prayers I found that I liked. So I'm going to read them off. And Denise is going to stick them in the chat. And again, as with any prayer, this is like, take what you want and leave the rest. If it's helpful to you, great. If it's helpful um, somewhat, rearrange the words to suit you. I generally talk to God in the prayers. Um, I say thee and thou and thy, because I read this once and I thought this was so beautiful. Like God deserves his own language. I don't talk to anyone else saying thee and thou and thy, but sometimes I talk to God that way. So um, here's one against pride. Lord, forgive me for thinking of myself so much and for thinking so much of myself. Help me to forget myself and find my true peace in beholding thee and serving others. Lay upon me thy easy yoke of self-forgetfulness that through it I may find rest. And then a prayer to not feel superior to other people. Lord, I so often look for others' flaws so that I can feel superior to them. That is a grievous sin against your commandment to regard others as better than me. I am so unlike you. I repent. Please conform me to your image. My heart inclines me to sin, and I'm spiritually powerless to change one bit without your supernatural help. Knowing that, how can I feel superior to anyone? Remind me of that and of your amazing love for me every time I'm tempted to feel superior or judge. Amen. So these are just some prayers. I rotate them. I find them. You can always like just Google prayers for humility, prayers against pride, prayers for gratitude. And I'm going to close with just one of my favorite stories about someone who truly exemplified humility. Um, this is from the book, um, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Gregg, G-R-E-I-G. It's a book on learning how to pray based on the Our Father. And I just, I thought the book was really good. And I just love this little story in it. Um, so Dominique, a lean, muscular, six feet, two inches, always wearing a navy blue beret, learned at age 54 that he was dying of inoperable cancer. With the community's permission, um, he was a monk, he moved to a poor neighborhood in Paris and took a job as night watchman at a factory. Returning home every morning at 8 a.m., he would go directly to a little park across the street from where he lived and sit down on a wooden bench. Hanging around the park were marginal people, drifters, winos, has-been, dirty old men who ogled the girls passing by. Dominique never criticized, scolded, or reprimanded them. He laughed, told stories, shared his candy, accepted them just as they were. From living so long out of the inner sanctuary, he gave off a peace, a serene sense of self-possession and a hospitality of heart that caused cynical young men and defeated old men to gravitate toward him like bacon toward eggs. 
His simple witness lay in accepting others as they were without question and allowing them to make themselves at home in his heart. Dominique was the most non-judgmental person I have ever known. He loved with the heart of God. One day when the ragtag group of rejects asked him to talk about himself, Dominique gave them a thumbnail description of his life. Then he told them with quiet conviction that God loved them tenderly and stubbornly, that God loved rejects and outcasts just like them. His witness was credible because his witness wasn't fleshed on his bones. Later, one old timer said, the dirty jokes, vulgar language and leering at girls just stopped. One morning, Dominique failed to appear on his park bench. The men grew concerned. A few hours later, he was found dead on the floor of his cold water flat. He died in the obscurity of a Parisian slum. Dominique never tried to impress anybody, never wondered if his life was useful or his witness meaningful. He never felt he had to do something great for God. He did keep a journal though. It was found shortly after his death in the drawer of the nightstand by his bed. His last entry is one of the most astonishing things I've ever read. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If God wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is God's concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about that. And then he says, in Dominique, I saw the reality of a life lived entirely for God and for others. And I think that if we're busy living our lives focused on, on God um, and serving others, and not just on God, like, what's God's will for me today? I hope it isn't something so horrible, um, but I have to do it because I did a third step. Uh-uh. But in getting to know this creator, like spending time getting to know like the infinite fathomlessness of, of God. And then just like all these people who just like need help and love. If we do that, then um, we don't have to worry about pride. I think then it will just fall away on its own. And with that, I pass.